Saturday morning to you. I've been saying falls in the air. Where I am right now, it's the dead of winter. The dead of winter. I'm in Abingdon, Virginia. Look at this. It's the Holston Valley Lake. Isn't God's creation beautiful? Dick and I are here for a weekend ministering in Virginia. <clears throat> it's 56 degrees. 56. I haven't felt 56 degrees since April. <laughs> it's 56 degrees and it's awesome. It was a long day yesterday, so Dick and I slept in a little bit this morning. Got up just a little while ago. Went ahead and read John chapter 17. Because we're progressing through the Gospel of John. John chapter 17 begins with something like after these things or after Jesus said these things. Anytime the scripture says after these things, we should go back and find out what things is he talking about. Remember, this is the night of the betrayal of Jesus. Hear that boat? Hear that boat go by? Yeah. After these things, hey Sarah. After these things, Jesus began to pray. John 17. Because remember, this is the night of his betrayal. John 13, he had washed the disciples' feet. He taught them about love. He said that someone betray, would betray him, and then he exposed Judas. John 14, Jesus said he's going to go away and prepare a place and come and receive his own into himself again. Don't be troubled by that. He said he would send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, be encouraged. John 15, he talked about the uh, true vine and producing fruit. We have talked about fruit, more fruit, much fruit, legacy fruit. That's what we want from our lives, legacy fruit, the fruit of Christ in our lives. John 16, yesterday, Jesus told them bad times are coming. And then he said, uh, he's going to send the advocate to be with them. Remember, he wasn't everywhere at one time on planet Earth, but he's now living and abiding in every believer. So Jesus is right here on the lake. Or if you're on a beach somewhere, if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus is with you also. And then Jesus said a time of sorrow is coming, but it's only going to be for a while. And then joy is going to come. And then he said, I spoke these things unto you. What things? All the things I just mentioned the last 30 seconds. I've told you these things, these things that in me you might have peace. You're not going to have peace anywhere else. He said, in the world, you shall have tribulation. Did you just get that? I just saw that. We're trying to find peace in the world, but Jesus said the only thing that's going to come from the world is tribulation. Even Job said, man's days are few and full, full of tribulation and trouble. So then he moves right into 17. And after all those things, Jesus begins to pray. And it's interesting. Jesus prayed um, for the world. Jesus prayed for his disciples. Jesus prayed for the future disciples. That would be us. And here's some of the things that Jesus prayed. Because remember this, as, I, as, I'm, as I'm just, I got up and I don't have my journal with me, but I, I did have a piece of paper. I wrote some things on a piece of paper. And as I was writing these things, I was reminded that if you read the rest of the New Testament, 
after Jesus died, after he was buried, after he rose again, after he walked on the earth for 40 days, he ascended to heaven and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And the Bible says he ever lives to make intercession for us. Have you ever wondered what Jesus has been praying for and interceding for us about? I think maybe I've discovered something in John 17. In John 17, he prayed that people would have eternal life. So I don't know if he's still praying for that. I don't know. But I do know he's praying for you and me, uh, the believers. So he prays in John 17 that people would have eternal life. And then he was into praying for unity for his disciples. Did you hear that? Unity. Oneness. Not uniformity, but oneness. Unity. I don't know if you're as bothered as I am the last 30 years about the... Um, the, um, the splintering in the body of Christ, the lack of unity in the body of Christ. And yet Jesus specifically prayed for unity amongst his believers, amongst his followers. Then he goes on and as he's praying for his followers, he does, he's, he prays and he goes, I'm not asking you, he's talking to the Father. He says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but that you guard them from the evil or the evil one. Notice what he's saying. Because a lot of times I hear people say, well, I just wish the Lord would just take me on out of here. I just wish God would just take me on home. I wish the Lord would take me on out of here. Jesus didn't pray that way. Jesus prayed, I'm not asking you, Father, to take them out of the world, but while they're in the world, that you would guard them from the evil one. I wonder, I just want, I wonder right now if Jesus is still praying for that. I wonder if Jesus is praying right now and saying, Father, Jimmy, down there in Abingdon, Virginia, Jimmy, one of your sons, one of your followers, sometimes he gets frustrated. Sometimes, um, sometimes he gets real frustrated. Lord, Father, I wonder if he's praying this. Don't take him out of the world but guard him from the evil one. I don't know about you, but I'm glad he prayed that for me. So he not only prayed that God would guard us from the evil one, then he says, sanctify them. He prays for God to sanctify us. Later on, the apostle Paul, the apostle Paul said that uh, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you, even your sanctification. The Lord wants us to walk in purity. The Lord... The Lord wants us to walk in holiness. The Lord wants us to walk in sanctification. So Jesus prayed, sanctify them according to thy truth. Then he said, thy word is truth. Oh, do you listen to me? He just said three or four verses before, I gave them your word. Now watch this. This right here. See it right there? That's one of my Bibles laying on the table there. That has God's word. Jesus gave us God's word. He said that. And then he said, sanctify them according to the truth. Your word is true. So how does how does that sanctification process work? How does holiness work? It all begins, revolves around, and comes from God's word. And so Jesus wants us to be sanctified. Listen, do you know anybody? I'm not talking about legalism, okay? I'm not talking about people that are always talking about how long your hair is. You can't have facial hair. You got to wear a coat and tie. Women, you got to wear your hair up in those little buns. Women, you can't ever wear pants. Women, now some, some of y'all need to be a little more modest. I'm just going to say that right there. <laughs> you can't do this. You can't do that. No, that's legalism. Jesus is talking about sanctification. 
what I found is that people that read the totality of Scripture, not just a few verses in the Old Testament that tell you about everything you can't do, if they read the, the totality of the Word, they walk in um, joyful sanctification. Sanctification is not a burden to them. It's a blessing to them. They walk in purity of life because they see that Jesus said he came to give abundant life. There's no abundant life outside of sanctification, and there's no sanctification outside of God's Word. So read the whole Word of God. Read all of it, and God will use this Word to sanctify us. So Jesus prayed that, that we would be sanctified. And then Jesus said this, You sent me, and so now I'm going to send them. Interesting. You sent me, and now I'm going to send them. The word sent there is from the word apostle, apostello. It's one sent on a mission. So here's what Jesus is doing. The, light bef the night before his death, he says, you sent me on a mission, and now I'm going to send them on a mission. And then right before Jesus ascended, he gave us our mission. Go and make disciples of all nations. He gave us our mission. Preach the gospel to every creature. Are you following me there, okay? So toward the end of this prayer, Jesus says, just as you sent me, now I am sending them. You appointed me, I'm appointing them. But it's very interesting, if you go back to the beginning of this prayer, John chapter 17, verse 4, Jesus says, well, verse 1 or 2 says, he knew his hour was come. If you've been reading John with us, this hour or this time has been alluded to on many occasions. Um, his hour was not yet come. They came to take him to kill him, but he disappeared because his hour was not yet come. So he was on God's timetable, not the enemy's timetable. Well, that's pretty good right there. We need to live on God's plan and God's agenda, not the enemy's plan and agenda. Anyway, so he reads down to chapter 17, verse 4, and then Jesus says this. I have finished the work that he sent me to accomplish. John 17, 4, I finished the work. You go, wait a minute, wait a minute now. This is the night before the cross. He hasn't even gone to the cross yet. And yet he's saying, I have finished the work. Well, remember, woven all through the Gospel of John, Jesus is doing sign miracles. And one of the purposes of him doing sign miracles is to put his glory, his godness on display. He's showing them he's God. He's pointing people to him. Seven times he says, I am. What was he doing? He was telling people, I am God. From John chapter 3 through John now, Jesus is preaching eternal life, eternal life, eternal life. And then in John 17, he prayed that we would have eternal life. So Jesus came to glorify the fathers right there in John 17. He came to glorify the Father. He came to do the Father's work or the Father's bidding. The Father sent him that he might be used as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world point people to the Father that they would be saved. So it's interesting. He says, I've finished the work here on earth. Then he went to the cross. But before he went to the cross, he prayed for us. And he said the same way, you sent me for the work. I'm sending them for the work. That's sobering. That's sobering. If you're a Christian, you're not just I used to tell my son this when he was coming up. He played baseball. He was a, he was he played baseball through college and played a few years of professional baseball. And I used to tell him all the time, "Look, dude, okay, you're a child of God who plays baseball. You're not a baseball player. 
Because you ask a lot of people, you know, you're asked, well, I'm a baseball player. I'm a football player. I'm a soccer player. No, not if you're a Christian. You're a son of God who plays baseball. You're a daughter of God who plays softball. You're a son of God who is a who, who, who pastors. You're a daughter of God who is on the worship team, or whatever it might be, okay? Because your identity is who you are, not what you do. Please hear me. Your identity is who you are, not what you do. That's why a lot of people change what they're doing or what they're doing is taken away from them and they, they have a, a, a spiritual train wreck because they get their identity in what they do, not who they are. Jesus' identity came from who he was and who he is. So he came to do a work and he did the work. Child of God, listen to me. Your identity is who you are, not what you do. And if you ever understand who you are, you will do the work that he sent you to do. That is good right there. Hey, y'all have a wonderful day. Feels like it's warmed up to 66 degrees out here on the lake now. Uh, y'all be blessed and I catch y'all sometime later.